Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, everybody. You're now listening to the Middleman Radio. This is the Middleman Talk Show. I am your boy Al, and this is Kevin, and this is Jen. What's going on, everybody? During this quarantine, man, everything I'm is amazing. Everything. I I don't know, man. Um, I think some people some people are actually losing it out here, man. <laughs> yeah, but you, but you know what? I see a lot of jokes. I see a lot of jokes about you know having to be kind of shut in the house with your kids. But I want to give a shout out to my kids. Oh, there have been moments where they they've tested my nerves. But I'm a seven year old, and this check, check your mic, Jen. Check your mic. Breaking up. Mic acting up a little bit. Yeah, this time, you know, during the quarantine, man, like, uh, it's definitely a time to, like, really get to know who you are, man, because you're at home more than normal. Well, people who are working that are essential or not, but, um, you know, but they are, too. Like, they are also getting to know themselves a little bit more as well. Um, But, like, this is a time for, like, all of us to practice healing, man, and, like, just take a mental health break, bro. Well, yeah, 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 need it, need it. Uh, look who walked in the studio all fashionably late. Hey, mind your business, man. Just mind your business. <laughs> <laughs> can can y'all hear we me are, now? Is that better? Oh, uh, great. Yeah, great. Better. Okay, right. you know so what I want to say? It's like I want to give a shout out to my kids who I think they understand um, pretty well, but, you know, they're toughing it out, and I know it's difficult for, you know, a seven-year-old and a two-year-old to understand, but they're they're hanging in there like troopers. So shout-out to all the kids who are taking one on the chin, being locked in the house, and doing well. Right. When you want to be at home, you don't want to be at home because you're forced. Uh-uh. I need these teachers to come and get their kids. I don't know what y'all doing. <laughs> it ain't that bad, man. Come on, man. It ain't that man, bad. Let the good times roll. <laughs> you know what? See, the, the, the most beautiful, just the thing that's just beautiful about everything with this quarantine is you're spending more time with your family. Yeah. You're spending more time with and your family. Y'all should appreciate that. As long as you ain't got to choke them out and kill them, you all right. Sure. <laughs> Kevin, are you um, 
Are you okay, bro? I mean, it sounds like you're a little, you know, man. a little salty, man. Salty? Yeah, you still gotta get up and go to work every day. I mean, hey, I mean, I'm good with that. I mean, I'm not. See the thing about it, man. When you get up, you do your routine. Everything's still in that box. I'm good. I'm cool with that. Now, if I was sitting at the house all day, man, I would probably be out of things to do right now because I would probably fish this, fish that, painted this, and did all that. Once you get done doing all that, then what? Right. What you know what I'm saying? Do? So, what else am I gonna do? So, I, I mean, I'm good, man. I'm, I'm, I'm great. And you know, I'm not saying it in a braggadocious way. Let me, let me make sure I emphasize that because there are a lot of people out there that are suffering. Uh, there are a lot of people out there that don't have a job right now. They can't get unemployment. Um, they're losing their houses and things that they've accumulated over the years. So, you know, right. prayers out to them. And, you know, we want to send a word of encouragement to them because it will uh, get better. So just continue to persevere and don't let this get you down. And save that stimulus check when it comes. Yep, (laughs) yep. That's a true story right there. True story. Don't go shopping on Amazon. Save it. Hey, y'all, I I got something that was brought to my attention by – Another talk show, or another really radio show, uh, my man Blizzom, uh, K100 Radio. You know, he, he brought up an interesting point. Um, right now, with the environment that we're in, terrestrial mm-hmm. radio, terrestrial radio is doing what we've been doing for over 10 years. Yep. If we're in the studio, we're in the studio. If we're not in the studio, we're not in the studio. But I'm, I'm telling you, man, they're catching up with us now, finally. We've been doing this for years. Just call in the whole nine, man. We, we've had a beautiful run. For those that don't know, if you're just been over 10 into the years, Man brother. Talk Show, we've been here for a long time. We've got a lot of great shows that y'all can go back and listen to. We want y'all to go back, share this with your family members, with your friends. Everybody's quarantined yep. right now. And the dude, you ain't got to go to work. You know, I want to say the line like Smokey on Friday, but it don't make sense with this. But at the same time. Listen to the Middleman Talk Show. Yeah. Over 300 episodes. 300 episodes. Listen to every one of them. If you don't agree with us, email us. Get on our Facebook page, the Middleman Talk Show Facebook page. Hit Nick up at whatever social site he got. Jen, me, and Al. I don't know mine. But hit us up. Don't hit me up. I'm not going to read your anyway. I'm just saying. Y'all need to really check out what we got going on over here. Cause I, I They're going to be got mad at my response, brother. I mean, <laughs> it's all good. I mean, you, you know, we were talking a couple of days ago. Some of the responses, me and Al, you know, we, we're listening to yeah. all of our archives, and we uh, we have a YouTube page that we're in the process of working on. We want everybody to subscribe to our YouTube page. We're going to have that up and running here shortly. All of our episodes are going to be on there. Uh just listening to some of the shows we had, we had some great topics, great topics. The energy was crazy. But I will say this. We're not the same people at that time that we were on those shows. A little bit more wiser. You know, mm-hmm. Got a little bit more sense Lifestyle to ourselves. Change. Life change, all that good stuff. But I got a couple time, more gray hair. Yeah, you got yeah. a whole lot of gray Actually, hair. Actually, when, when uh, I started on the show... I didn't have any gray hair. 
<laughs> fooling around with y'all. I got a salt and pepper beard now. <laughs> no, man. No, man. <laughs> hey, we right, just trying to come up, man. You know what I'm saying? Continue to come up. Well, I don't know about y'all, but I've gotten cuter as the years go. You know, like, you know, I don't get older. I get better. All right, Jean. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, do it, man. Shuckalaka. <laughs> So we definitely want to thank everybody for uh, tuning in to the Middleman Talk Show today. We have a great show planned for you guys out there listening. Uh, the phone lines are open. The number is 516-387-1542. Uh, if you definitely would like to listen by your phone or if you want to make a comment, just press 1 on your phone and we'll definitely get to you. But um, on to today's topic, man. Let me go ahead and let the people know what we're talking about. So, if you have not read the description, the title of today's show is Code Switching, Thriving While Being Black in Corporate America. So, in 2019, there were a total of 2,200 billionaires in the world. Of that number, only 0.77%, that's less than 1%, of those are black billionaires. Out of the Fortune 500 companies... Only four are black. So the question is, in order for us to move up the corporate ladder, people of color have to either remove or hide aspects of their culture in order to succeed. So the questions in which we want to pose today is, do black people have to change themselves in order to be successful in white corporate America? Do black women and men have different experiences working and gaining success in corporate America? Um, are companies' diversity, diversity policies inclusive to black people? Does the average African-American look down on those who choose to co-switch for work or talk white because of a job that they're trying to get or because of their upbringing? Do other cultures have this issue with co-switching to be successful? We definitely want to hear your thoughts as well, too. So like I said, if you have a comment, um, you can definitely dial in at 516-387-1542. Press the number one on your phone. We also uh, are in the chat board as well, too. You can place your comments there as well. So um, let's go ahead and start with it. So, I mean, um, like the statistic that we see now, um, we have 2,200 billionaires in the world, and only less than 1% of those are black. Um, and then from climbing the corporate ladder, do you feel like in order for us to reach that level of success or to reach any level of success that we want, do we have to change who we are to be successful in white corporate America? That's the question. What's your thoughts? Uh, so l- let me speak on this. Um as a person who has, as a black man, I can't speak from a woman's standpoint, even though I've seen it. But as a as a black man who's been in corporate America roughly since about 2005, well, in and out between owning my own business and being in corporate America, I am very often one of, if not the only guys, black men in my space. And... When it's more than one of us, there is a difference. And, yes, there is a level of code switching that goes on, and it is a survival tactic. Right. It is a survival tactic. There is 
there is a rampant desire and need from the corporate America corporate America system for conformity and often black men and black women are the ones who are absolutely always on the outside of that. So it is a survival tactic. I also think that code switching isn't something that is new to to black. By the time you get to corporate America, I don't think code switching is new to you. We've I've been code switching since I was a child. Um, oh, yeah. You know, conformity is inbred in us from the time that we're in school. You know, when they start to segregate you in classes based upon your test scores, based upon mm-hmm. you know a variety of different factors. You automatically to survive in that world, you know, for a long time when I was growing up, I was one of the few black people, I think it was like maybe three or four black people in the class with me, um, you know, and in order to survive in that, that, um, that environment, you did have to learn how to code switch. And then it, when you get to be an adult in corporate America, it just takes it to another level. Right. Well, we also have a uh, thank you for that comment, Jen. Um, we definitely want to follow up with what you just said with a clip that we have. Um, and it's interesting that your clip kind of um, dived into that. Uh, let's go ahead and get this clip played. Okay, appreciate it. All right, here we go. The thing about code switching is that I feel like black people have to do it all the time. Yeah. And especially if you're something else plus black, which of course we all are because we're human, you know. Yeah. I'm a black homosexual. Sometimes, like when I go and get my hair cut in certain parts of the world, okay, I got to butch it up. (laughs) Sometimes when I go into a a job interview, I gay it up because I think that makes me more accessible. And it's like, it's a weird thing because we all do it because it's a survival tactic, but it feels weird, man. It just feels, there is an inauthentic part of it. And I think the burden that black people have that people who, you know, don't have to do it is that we have to do it all the time. When we go to the grocery store, when we are driving, when we are, you know, at work, when we're at home, when we're out everywhere, we have to code switch. And it is exhausting. As black folks in particular, right, we've been raised in a society where we have to exist in multiple spaces at once. And so for us, it is all part of us, you know, when you put on that voice, when the bill collector calls, right? Hello, how are you? Yeah. <laughs> so nice to meet you. I don't know why my credit card is yeah. working. <laughs> I thought I paid that. Oh, my God, my apologies. But then, you know, when you're around your crew, you know, you're a little bit more loose with it. You're like, what's popping? You know, what's going on? And so it's just, it, it is all part of us. Um, but it it. We sometimes see that certain parts of us we have to turn down when we're in, you know, more mainstream or, or white up. spaces. But you also or don't want to be up, perceived yes. as a stereotype in no. certain instances. So, like, I can understand code switching. But, you know, it's funny. I grew up in an all-black neighborhood mm-hmm. and uh, in Houston, and I went to a mostly white school, like, you know, all my life, what they call the Magnet mm-hmm. Program. And I had to code switch both ways because mm-hmm. I remember that first time I came home, I was like, oh, you, you talk white. Yep. You think you yeah. talk white. Yeah. You know, so you think you, you guys, yeah. hey, what's up, man? You got to, like, do it both ways. You know <laughs> yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, that's like, a good point. Yeah. It's it's a it's a awkward it's an awkward thing to do because it's like you're wearing like a full set of clothes all the time. It's yeah. like which mask yeah. is appropriate and you, and I feel like black we have to think about it. Mm-hmm. Right. Like like no shit, you can't roll up to a seven eleven in a hoodie talking about you know, what I mean you, your whole you're always aware yeah. that you're the black person in the situation. Yeah. It never is something that lets up. Code switching isn't just trying to fit into something you're not. Sometimes it's trying to fit into what people perceive you as. Yeah. 
All right. And um, mm-hmm. wow. <laughs> What's on your Indeed, mind, man? What's on your mind, man? You know, um, I, I think they have some valid points. You know, it's 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 always a mask on. You know, we we always have to walk around, especially working in certain environments with certain people. Um, I think that, you know, it, it to me it's a, it's a mental, it causes mental exhaustion when you always have to do that because you know to them you know you have people that speak proper English. I don't speak proper English. I know this. Y'all know this. Uh, but at the same time, I try to make sure that my diction is on point. Uh, I can present myself in a proper manner. But. Y'all know when I get around y'all and around my people, it, it's relaxed. I'm good. I can speak the way I need to speak. Um, right. I think it's a tragedy that in today's time, if we're not able to speak the king's English, and no knock on anybody do, because I know Jen, she's a, a great linguistics. She's a great at uh, linguistics. She can speak very well. And Nick, you also. Um, yep. I mean, it's sad that we have to go through all this just to even make it. Uh, own a job or, or either in society itself. I mean, I agree. If anybody's um, ever been, if it, wait, before you get to your comment, I just got to say if anybody's ever been mm-hmm. on the phone with Kev while he's at work, it's hilarious because. He, oh, man, he, come he, on, dog. Don't do that. Don't do that. He, he goes from KG to Kevin Nathaniel. And like. Man. <laughs> But 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 I agree with Kevin. Like I remember um, um, applying for my first, I guess you would say, uh, real job, like right out of college, and having my interview. Um, you know, I put on my best my best voice, and I don't think it's um, you're talking white. I think it's the tone and the projection. It's what people hear when they say that you sound white instead of you using proper English. I think it's just how you uh, present certain syllables, certain sounds, certain phrases that we typically necessarily don't, you know, use when we're just talking amongst ourselves. So, yes, we turn it on and turn it off. I do, too. Especially when, you know, it's time to talk business with someone I've never talked with before. I'm going to use my best professional voice. You know, I may but not I, sound I, like But that. I also, but I just to, to, to disagree a tiny bit, I think, you know, from our, our inception of, of African-Americans mm-hmm. into this country, we have been placed in a, you know, at a position where we have to constantly, constantly be aware of other people's feelings and we have to accommodate mm-hmm. ourselves to that. Um, that's that's, that's part of speaking in a certain manner. Um, everybody's real. familiar with yep. You know, Paul Lawrence's uh, Dunbar, I think, um, poem, you know, we wear the mask that grins and lies, that hides our cheeks and shades our eyes. You know, from the time that we've been here, we've we've put on that mask through centuries and centuries and centuries. It's ingrained in us that in order to be successful and in order to pursue any type of career, we have to make other people comfortable with us and we have to change Mm -hmm. who we are to meet their comfort level. Well, Jen, I think that kind of rolls back around to your original point about how long code switching has actually been around. When you look at during the time of slavery, you know, with no formal training and really a baptism by fire, 
black people in America became masters of the English language, but when we then had to find ourselves dumbing down our speech in order not to appear too intelligent, too, too intelligent, to slave yep. masters. So the code switching has actually changed um, through time if you look at blacks in American history. And it's actually a technical term for it. It's A-A-V-E, African American Vernacular English. But wow. I mean, it's, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's a fit the actually, time. Yeah, they're, they're right. It fit the need. Again, It was a, it's a survival tactic. But I want to yep. throw a little curveball on that because, Al, you brought up a good point. Don't we often code switch in our own communities? Because I got mm. the you talk like a white boy yep. or you you talk white when I was a kid. So you know you kind of like uh, in the clip they say you gotta you kind of have to. I don't want to say hood it up a little bit when you're around, <laughs> you know, family. But uh, it's it, it's uh, and, and the clip that we played was actually from the creator and the cast of Dear White People, and it was another portion yeah. of that clip where he said something that I I, I thought was really really true is that you kind of wear you're kind of in a full suit all the time like whether you're right. around, you're never really allowed to be around yourself you know be yourself if you're not around a certain type of people you have to either hood it up or you got to corporate it up for whatever the case may be yeah yeah I yeah think I, got I a caller. Uh, what oh you got a caller go ahead go ahead yeah uh-huh
And mm. when when going through that company that I was in last year, um, I I couldn't. I'll be honest with you, I couldn't play the game like that's not me. That's not the way I was brought up. Just to be accepting of how you do or how you operate things. Like I've always been, if I see if I see BS, to call it out eventually. And so um, when she when I announced to her that I was moving jobs or whatever, she told me. She told me again. She was like. You know, uh, you have to understand that, you know, this is corporate America. You have to play the game to be in it. And I just feel like a lot of our older generation, um, and I hope I'm not trying, well, I'm not trying to pick on anybody in those words, but a lot of our older generation feels that you have to play that game to be in the game. But I feel like, no, we can create our own game. I feel like that's what Malcolm X was trying to teach us. And the fact that, yes, we can, we can observe their game, but we can observe. I mean, we can we can we can have our own game. We can live our own lives, and we can make our own success. If we stop living by the rules and make our own rules, those rules won't exist anymore. Mm. Yeah. So so you saying that? Uh, I, I feel it, man. I know, like a lot of times when uh, the older, you know, the older generation, the things that they had to go through um, just to even survive, and, and like Nick was saying, you had to downplay your intelligence. You had to downplay. Your persona, everything. Um, yes, this generation, yeah. you have I more mean, of a I, chance. You you have more of a right. chance to really go beyond what what the previous generations have done because of the opportunities. Um, and I think it's going to take a little bit longer or take a little bit more time for us to get to the point where in this world, not just this country, but in this yeah. world where people will accept us for who we are. And to be honest with you, brother, I know you don't feel like we have to play the game. To a certain degree, we have to play the game. I know you might not agree with that, but, but to a certain degree, we play the game. This is and if I, play, if I may okay. play devil's advocate really quickly, I think that everybody's not an entrepreneur. Some people want to, you know, work in corporate America. So we have to figure out how do we climb the ladder to get in leadership roles where we can hire mm-hmm. other people of color and other women so we can raise them up as well. If I become, you know, a vice president or a president or a CEO of a company, I have a better chance and in a better way to hire other people that look like me in my space and, and give them a chance. But but so my, we have to have more of us get to that level. My, my I mean, but, but to you all is, how long are we going to do this? Because, I mean, our people have been in corporate America for how long now? How long have they been CEOs? How long have they moved their ways up the ranks? How long will it take us so that we can create our own set of rules? Because, I mean, I, I I mean this is going on for years. I'll say it like this, Bill. Um, I know you was on our last show, and we appreciate you for calling, and, and we appreciate you for you know tuning in again and giving us your input. And I do recall you about, what, 25, 24? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. Now, what I'm going to say, if you think about it, Bill, I've been around a little bit longer than you. So to you, the, the amount of time that black people have been CEOs haven't been that long, you know, for okay. me. But overall, to you, it seems like an eternity. See, the thing about it, even when you look at back in the 50s and the 40s and the 60s, they didn't have a whole lot of black CEOs. You had people that, you right. know, they, right. they got the, uh, the, the, the uh, what's her name on Netflix? You know, she was her own person. You had people in the 1900s and so forth. Like, when you get into the 80s, right, you get into the 80s, 
you get into the 90s, you start seeing more and more blacks in those positions. So it really hadn't been that long where we had uh, that opportunity. Now, when you think about it, you say, how long will we have to do this? We're going to have to have more ownership of our own businesses. We're going to have to have more uh, more opportunities. Ownership of resources. More opportunities. Exactly. We don't own the resources, so therefore, it, it's not to say that we can't do it. It may take a little bit longer than what you may realize. Well, can can I, can I interject on that? Because I think I understand Bill's point, but I think yeah. we need both. We have to be able to have and sustain our own businesses, but we also need to be able to, for lack of a better term, infiltrate the system that is around us. When you still have things that are systemically placed that have put and kept black businesses down for years and years, you know, there's an infiltration that needs to be happening. Think about it from this. Think about it like this. It's 2020. Civil Rights Act was passed in 1968, which means 52 years ago was the first time black people were fully free in the United States of America. Right. So for most in of us, for well, uh, I'm I'm speaking specifically from a policy standpoint. So for most of us, okay. for instance, my sister and I, we were the first, and I'm 39. We were the first in our direct bloodline to be born with our full rights as Americans. My mother didn't have that luxury, neither did my father. And the same could be said for a lot of other people on this call. So yes. I understand the need to say, oh, we've been CEOs. But if you think about the numbers that Al read at the beginning of this, no. If you look at an entity like Bank of America, which originally started as Bank of Italy, think about how Mm -hmm. far back that bank goes. And it's still, it's just now in the last 15, 20 years, risen to the prominence of being one of the quote-unquote premier banks in the United States today. I say that to say, how do we get to that point? Just like Jen said, those of us in those positions, we need to start grooming. I tell people all the time, get yourself a mentor. Get yourself a mentor. We need to start grooming and getting those people in those C-level positions in corporations, but we also need to support our black businesses. If our black businesses can thrive, they can hire more people that look like us. If you look at what the NABJ, the National Association of Black Journalists, did when they took on media conglomerates like CNN, Fox, um, MSNBC, and more because they didn't have any C-level black people. You know, it took a ton of pressure. But if it were not for mm-hmm. the NABJ, we wouldn't be at the point where we do have VP-level people at CNN right now. That was a direct result of what the NABJ did. But that organization needed to be supported by black people in order for that mm-hmm. to happen because the resources have to be there. So you have to have both. We would love for there to be a day where we're no longer code-switching. We would love for that to be a day, but I'm about being pragmatic on things and knowing that's going to take time and more consorted effort, and, and, and more than that is going to take the knowledge of knowing we're not there yet, and it's going to take time to get there. So my so question is, well, if you can put a timeline on this, how long is the timeline? I, now, I understand that we're, we're thinking we're, we're, we're not trying to live in a fantasy world by no means, and I respect both both comments, but my question is, is when will the light switch, like, be like, okay, I think it's time for us to go ahead and just start this thing on our own. Like, it's time for our people to stand up and, and take, take take ownership. Well, Bill, let's be honest. Yeah, well, there has, first, there has to be a massive deprogramming. 
I would say we're at least one generation away from getting to that point. Because the other thing you have to think about it, about it is the systems that are in place to keep us down have been systems that were in place before America was a country. Mm-hmm. You can't. You you have to have the patience to look at it long term. When I when I do the things that I do, I don't do them so that I can benefit from them. I do them so my grandchildren mm-hmm. can benefit from them. Yes, my children, right, my right, grandchildren, right. my great grandchildren. We have to have that proactive spirit and the and the patience to look past. We may not see it. I'm totally fine mm-hmm. with the fact that I'm not that I'm not going to see it. I'm totally fine with the fact that the things that I put in place now will greatly benefit my grandchildren and their grandchildren for generations to come. That is how these systems were put into place to begin with, and that is the only way to combat it. I agree. That's true. And it's especially hard for, say, like me, because I I have to battle several fronts. Not only do I have to battle you know, being an African-American in the corporate America, I have to battle being a woman at the same time, which is a total different experience, a total different level. And I have horror stories upon horror stories about situations um, that I personally have been in that, you know, seem like the twilight zone. Well, let's, let's do this then. Jen, uh, you brought up, brought up a great part of this conversation. I mean, black women, have to deal with a whole lot in corporate America from the hair, uh, the image, everything. Uh, we do have a clip uh, for black women in the workplace in America and what they deal with. So uh, we're going to go right into this clip. Bill, stay on with us. Uh, as soon as we get back, if you got a comment, dial 516-387-1542. Press the number one if you would like to get into this conversation. This is the Middleman Talk Show. How do you feel like you can value yourself and have people respect you and your time and your worth when you're in a majority white space in the corporate world? The thing about being the only black being in an office is that they, they're afraid of us. They're afraid of what to say. They're afraid of how to act around us. So they'll continue to do things to kind of see where they can see where they can get away with, right? They'll push us to see where they can get away with. We need to stand our ground always. Oftentimes, if we raise our voice, if we become too emotional, it'll come off the wrong way in those white spaces. Um, But it is what it is. We just need to stay professional um, and keep that in mind. Like, they're, they're trying me right now. Let me stay professional. Let me... Breathe in. We need to act with poise. Um, my beautiful black women, we just have to act with poise and continue to remember we're bosses and we need to act like one. Yes, sir. I agree. Yeah, I agree. Cool. So I'll tell y'all a story really quick. So I am in a, I'm in, I'm having a meeting, right? And I'm holding the other person in the meeting accountable. And I'm asking them legitimate questions about their role in the project. You know, the lady gets upset because she cannot answer the questions that I ask her. And, you know, we end the meeting. An hour later, I get a call from our HR department saying that I've been accused of being a bully and that I need to adjust my attitude. Wow. No one asked me was I a bully. No one asked me what happened. This woman, who happened to be a Caucasian woman, got upset because she couldn't handle her end of the project or what was happening. 
And she felt like because I was asking her questions and I was talking to her directly, I was labeled a bully. It's so it's so hard being a black woman in corporate America where you have to constantly, you know, if I'm a woman and I can say the same exact thing as a man or I can pose the same questions as a man, but because I'm a woman mm-hmm. and because I'm an African-American woman, anytime that I speak to someone directly, it comes off as if I'm a, for better lack of words, a bitch or a bully or whatever. And it's exhausting. And it's something that black women in corporate America have to constantly deal with. I can I can see that person's face right now. She probably got a little red in the face and was like, "How dare you? Sure you know How what? dare you question you know my authority? How dare you <laughs> say anything against my rightness? How dare no, yeah. you?" We we were in a conference room, and then when she she couldn't handle it, she went for the door, and I said, "Don't leave." Let's handle this so we can, you know, see where we're at and where we stand and how we move forward. She said I trapped her in the um in the conference room. It, it, it was crazy, wow. just completely crazy. And Jen, what's crazy is wow. it starts it, the it, the perception of you starts way before corporate America. I remember a study done by a Georgetown Law called the erase the erasure of Black girls' childhood, where they just basically broke down all these different stereotypes and how they they took a young black girl and a young white girl of the same age and how the black girl was considered older, stronger, more aggressive, more sexual than a white girl, even though there was no physical evidence that would say that it was purely based on perception of the people that were surveyed on it. And it's just it's staggering that they actually gathered that perception mm-hmm. just by looking at her. Mm-hmm. 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 But, you know, they do us like that, like, as far as the males, you know, like, uh, you know, our teenage boys, like, they automatically assume that they are, you know, grown men, a threat as well, too. I mean, so, uh, man. Um, yeah. I see we have another caller, man, that we want to go ahead and bring in our next caller. All right, man. This is this is family, man. This is family. He hasn't been yeah. in with us for a while, so we're going to bring in, this is our good brother, man, Dr. Reed. What's going on, Dr. Reed? Yeah. Hey. <laughs> Matter of fact, before you yeah, start talk, talking, Dr. Reed, hold on, hold on, hold on. I got to do this, brother. I got to do this. Here we go. <laughs> I, I got to change that. It do sound like some uh, sound like some fish frying, <laughs> but uh, that's part of this hand clap. But what's going on, Dr. Reed? What's on your mind, brother? Hey, man, nothing much. I got new headphones, so I want to make sure y'all can hear me before I say anything. Can y'all hear me good? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, man, I'm out here trying not to catch the Rona. Uh, I think the hardest part of my job every day is trying to keep, uh, I don't know which one's worse, keeping my staff calm or keeping my <laughs> keeping my patients calm because we got a lot of old people where I'm at. So it's just, yeah. uh, but at least, hey, I'm working, so I can't complain. I can't complain too much. Yes, but uh, I did want to address, address the topic. Uh, having having the, the blessing and the curse of traveling all over this country, uh, I've got to see different different elements. Elements mm-hmm. uh, in the New York area, it's a melting pot. So everything that, that that black women deal with, I've seen. You know, Latinas. A lot of my my sisters from Puerto Rico, or or the Dominicans. I've seen them deal with too. Uh, I left Montana where it's Native American, and there ain't no black people up there. So everything that black people deal with, Native Americans deal with up there. Is is is, mm-hmm. is is crazy the double standard uh, that everything. So 
I'm gonna give my little antidote, and yeah, everybody don't know this, but uh, even though I run two miles a day and all that stuff, I had a heart attack last year. Uh, oh that's man, that's part of the reason. Why. Yeah, yeah, I'm alive. I'm alive. I'll be alright. Yes, but uh, but part of it is is because of the stress at work. Now, one of the things, and it, and it kind of goes along with everything that you guys are talking about. Now, what what I did last year, I wouldn't. I wouldn't not do what I did, but having had a heart attack in corporate America, I've learned when to say when, when to quit, when to cut my losses, regardless of how much money. That's the biggest thing that I've learned. So I had a situation last year. I had a situation last year where this, uh, this young lady, uh, well, let me take it back a little bit. So we had this nurse. We supposed to have one RN, one LVN and two medical assistants to be able to help us run our clinic. This, uh, mm-hmm. this one RN, she's a white girl, real cool lady, whatever. Well, she's a single mom, so we didn't have an LVN. We didn't have an M, uh, any MA. So she was doing four people's jobs by herself. So wow. they piss her off. She, she ends up quitting. So the guy that's yeah. in charge, he has, no back, he has no backup plan. So he hires this young girl, a medical assistant with no nurse manager, to run the whole clinic by herself. So I pull him to the side. I'm like, say, bro, you asking for, you're not asking for a mistake to happen. You begging for a mistake because we got to have make sure these medications we give people are calculated the right way. I'm not saying I don't believe in the girl, but she brand new, bro. She brand new off the, off the street. You asking for a mistake. So, so far, so when I say this to him, it's 1030. Well, the devil is, is very prevalent in, in corporate America as well. So, Find out this young lady. So after I had this conversation with this guy, find out an hour prior, the girl had an accidental needle stick. Now, I'm an HIV specialist. All of our patients have HIV. So the, 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 the needle stick she had was with a patient with HIV and uncontrolled HIV and uncontrolled syphilis. So she got a double, she got a double whammy. Now, today, we got medications that can prevent that. So as long as you get the medications in your system within 72 hours, but the first two hours is vital. We got the drugs in the clinic. We got the drugs in the clinic, but instead, instead he didn't let anybody know it was convenient for him because he didn't plan. So he wanted this girl to work the rest of the day with this, with this virus in her system. He wanted her to work the rest of the day because it was more convenient for her. He put this girl, this innocent girl's life at risk for HIV, and she's a single mom, HIV, and, hep- uh, and, and hepatitis, and syphilis. So, of course, I confront them with that, and I'm like, and the guy is HIV positive himself, but he's HIV positive by choice. He made the choices to have unprotected sex and things like this. This girl, and the girl told him that, that she didn't have, a, uh, that, that the shark's container was too full. He blew her off. Because he would have to actually do his job. So now that this girl got stuck and she's, a, uh, she's a, uh, exposed to all these diseases, now all of a sudden I'm the problem for standing up for this girl's life. You know, now I'm the person with the mm-hmm. attitude problem. Now I'm the person with anger management. And then they start bringing up my military background where you know how soldiers are. They got PTSD and all yep. kind of stuff like that. And I'm like, yep. are we still negating the fact that you just exposed this girl to a daily disease because of personal gain? And then since that wow. time, a year later, they pre- they pretty much removed everybody that worked at that clinic at that time 
because they didn't want that stuff to go public. So every single person that worked there at that clinic on that day no longer works there because that stuff started going up the chain. So, and that's part of the reason why I had a heart attack because, you know, I'm thinking y'all are playing with people's lives. So you're literally playing with people's lives, but the only thing that came out of that is I have an attitude problem. So, mm-hmm. it, you know, it doesn't matter what field you're in. No one's exempt. Just as a people, we have to start learning when to cut our losses. You know, you literally, you have to ask yourself, is this job worth my life? And as a person who almost died twice last year, it, it, you seriously got to ask yourself that question, especially as we start getting older, we have families. If a job starts coming between you and your life, you seriously got to decide what you want to do. So, you know, don't, don't let it stress you out if it's going to kill you. Well, I thank you for that, Dr. Reed, because, you know, I, I myself from the stress of, of being in corporate America since working the job that I have, I'm on blood pressure medication <laughs> just because, wow. you know, the stress of, you know, of, of the job. And, and that's real. That's, that's real. Like, you know, is the, is the money worth it? Is, is, is the climb worth it? Is it worth it? And let's, mm. and let's be honest, well, I mean, is the prestige of the title worth it? Because that's another sure. thing. You know, we all hear, and I say, oh, such and such work for such. He's got an office, or uh, she's got two people working on it. Is the prestige mm-hmm. worth it? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. On top of the wow. fact that you have to go in there and code switch every day, just so you don't right. offend don't... anybody and become the, the angry black guy or the angry black woman. Now, let me say well, something, hey, because well, I know hey. you guys are short on time. Can you hear me? Go ahead, Dr. Reed. Yeah, go ahead. Now, I I would say, now, one thing I don't do is I don't code switch. Uh, I don't code switch at all. Now, because I travel all over the country, I'm more, you know, I have a lot of people who are dying or I have a lot of people who got issues that's going on. So I meet them where they are. You know, so if I'm in, if I'm in, if I'm in Brooklyn, I'm going to talk like I'm from Brooklyn. You know, my patients from Compton, I'm not going to act like I'm from Bel Air when I, when I got cats from Compton up in my office, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, I'm just, I'm just being real. But, you know, I got my people, my good old boys, too. Now, I don't, I don't tap dance or nothing like that, but I, I, as I told my wife, I said, there's 13% hood in me no matter who I talk to because, to me, it's too hard. It, it's too hard for me to try to be somebody I'm not. I still be a professional. But even when I interview, I tell people, this is who I am. Take it or leave it. Let, let's not waste my time. Let's not t- waste your time. I'm not going to talk the way you want me to talk. I'm not going to dress the way you want to talk. I literally come to do to job and do one thing, my job, and then I go home. That's it. Mm-hmm. If, you, if, you want some, if you want somebody to do something other than their job, then I'm not the person for you. And for some reason, that turns people on more, and they actually want to hire me. So I'm like, I'm going to come to work, do my job. I'm not going to soft shoe. I'm not going to participate in potlucks because I don't trust y'all kidding. Um, <laughs> this man just said he ain't messing with that potluck. <laughs> I have not participated in the last six. I do not participate in I say I, I said I would donate something to the potluck fund, but I am not. No, no. no. I've seen some interesting meals in the last couple of years, bro. Now I'm good. Hey, I, 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 I got to say, I've I've known Dr. Reed for 22 years at this point. He is always. I'm not gonna call him the nickname that we you know that we've that I've been calling him the entire time I've known. Him. But 
he no, nah, he doesn't code switch for anybody. And, and it's it's led to some very interesting moments. I'll say that much. Uh, <laughs> I would love to see one of those moments. <laughs> yeah, well, now, I'm thinking about starting a, a comedy sketch with some of the stuff that I've done. You know, might switch it up with some of the patients, but I got some, I got some goals, man. I got some goals for real. <laughs> Change you know, the name to protect uh, the innocent, brother. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, one, one, one thing that I find interesting also, y'all, is that, you know, like even just how we present ourselves, like you were saying, you don't code switch. But even in the, in the effect that some people do have the code switch, they're quote-unquote talking white. I know we kind of alluded to that a little bit earlier. We do have a clip uh, that we would like to play about that. And once we get back from this clip, we're going to continue this conversation. Uh, you are live with the Middleman Talk Show. Like I said, the number is 516-387-1542. Press 1 if you would like to get in our conversation. We do appreciate everybody that's on the web chat, everybody that's tuning in through Facebook, iTunes, or whatever you're listening to us on. Share it with a friend. Let them know that we're on. You're in the house. You ain't doing that. You're quarantined. Listen to our show right now. This is Talking White, y'all. Check it out. Can you tell what race I am just by hearing my voice? Correct. Turns out, Americans are pretty good at guessing your race just by hearing your voice. It's called linguistic profiling and we all do it. There are certain auditory cues that give us subtle hints about who we're talking to. A lot of black Americans speak what's referred to as AAVE, or African American Vernacular English. AAV is non-rhotic, meaning that uh, like a British accent, there are no R sounds at the end of words or at the end of syllables. John Fleming is a speech and dialect coach for movies and video games. Generally speaking, there's uh, the TH sounds, the th, th, and the, the, get replaced with something, generally a T or a D. There's a few other vowels and things, but it kind of keeps going and going and it gets kind of into the weeds a bit. When it comes to being on the phone though, Black people will often try to sound more white. Uh, yes, Mr. Ribbon, I would love to have the opportunity to sit with you to discuss some of our products. It's a form of code switching, or in this case, alternating between two different dialects. These try to grab me by my collar, right? That's not... Uh, good morning, customer service. My name is Philip. <laughs> Black people talking white is having a real moment in media right now. Sorry to Bother You is a movie about a black salesman whose career only takes off when he starts talking white. You want to make some money here? Use your white voice. Hey, Mr. Kramer, this is Langston from Regal View. And Black Klansman is a movie about a black detective who infiltrates the KKK by pretending to be white over the phone. God bless white America. The idea is to speak in what's called the standard accent. The standard accent is the one spoken by the majority group or the socially advantaged group. Olivia Kang is a psychologist at Harvard. She's working on a project that explores the hidden biases we hold. If you speak with a standard accent, you're judged as being more intelligent, more competent, more credible, more hireable. Now having a regional accent or a non-standard accent, now you're not getting those advantages. You're seen as less credible or less hireable. These biases are implicit. This isn't Charlottesville tiki torch racism. It's much more discreet than that. The most basic way of understanding implicit bias is by thinking about the associations we make. If two things occur together over and over again in our experience, we link them together. Salt and pepper, day and night, bread and butter, these types of associations are helpful, but there are some that aren't. Now, if I say the word genius, you're probably thinking of some collector's edition white dude. Now, if I say the word criminal, 
Voices aren't just sounds. In a lot of ways, they're auditory faces. So when you hear a voice, you can, in some sense, piece together what the person on the other end of the phone can look like, um, roughly how old they are, their gender, where they come from. But the interesting thing is that you can also form impressions about character. So how intelligent someone is, how competent, how likable, how trustworthy. And these impressions can be flawed, right? A lot of these things might have um, a basis in your implicit biases or things that you've heard, portrayals you've seen on uh, television. And so when people are doing something like conducting a voice interview, often the implicit biases they have about voice can influence the decisions that they're making. Every black American is bilingual. We speak street vernacular and we speak job interview. In order to combat some of these implicit biases, black people, myself included, try to sound as white as possible. I sound like Bill Gates impersonating your mailman. Why hello there? I'm wondering if there are any positions available. Oh no, I don't mind waiting. But does changing your voice actually work? A study in 2001 found that landlords would make racist snap judgments to callers with certain dialects. Compared with whites, blacks were less likely to get callbacks, less likely to be told there was an apartment available, and more likely to get their credit questioned. However, blacks who code switched fared better than those who didn't. Code switching helps in other areas too. And actually Don Lemon is a very good example because to become this main host that he is, he's talked about how he had to change because he's from New Orleans, and he had to, and he consciously had to change his accent for the sake of moving up at CNN. The president of the United States is racist. Instead of changing the way we speak, maybe we should change the way we listen. I might be able to tell your race from your voice, but that doesn't tell me anything about your character. All right, and that was uh, talking white. Hey, Kev. Which uh, I was just accused of by yeah. uh, Nick. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, Kev, uh, the the study that they referred to from that clip, um, when I originally put the clip up, I actually went and found that study. And okay. he was he, he kind of glossed over it. He was like, oh, they're less, you're less likely to get callbacks from landlords. It, it, the right. numbers, it was literally three times for black men and four times. For black, black women. women, that meant it, they were four times more likely to call back a white woman than they were a black woman, and three times more for a black man, uh, three times more for a white man than a black man. So I thought he kind of, yeah. I, I appreciate the study, but I thought he kind of glossed over that uh, just a little bit, and I wanted to provide just a little bit more context to that. I do appreciate that's how that. I mean, numbers were. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's, that's needed information right there, Nate. I mean, because yeah, we we can apply for a job. You know, we we've had shows where we talked about names. Uh, if your name is a certain right. uh, mm-hmm. a certain uh, uh, stature or whatever the case may be, uh, you won't get that call back. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and if you sound too black, you got too much. This is the crazy part about it. If you got too much bass in your voice, they won't call. Oh yeah, yeah, yep. You gotta talk like this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got to sound uh, threatening. I mean, because you got to look at it. Most of the companies that, um, let's just say the Fortune 500 companies, right? Those are, the majority of those are owned by people that do not look like us, right? So in order to get yeah. hired there, what do you have to do? You got to fit in, don't you? Emulate. You got to meet the criteria. Yeah. Oh, can I give you all a good example of that? 
Look, look, and I'm not going to say who it is because this person actually listens to the show. It's a family member of mine, so I'm not going to put them out like that. But I remember when I was a kid, I was still in high school, and I went to go see them at work. And Mm -hmm. they were outside taking a smoke break. And, you know, this is a black man and, you know, the only black man in the circle. And I get up there and I'm listening to him talk. And I'm, I'm like, dang, I never realized how thick of a southern accent he had. Now I always regarded this guy as really, really just this really poised, professional, intelligent guy. But I'm like, man, he has such a strong southern accent. Like, so country, it's ridiculous. And so I, <laughs> I called my mom and I was like, hey, I just realized that such and such is a really strong southern accent. And she was like, no, he doesn't. I'm like... Yes, he does. I just went up there. He was outside talking to his coworkers, and he was talking about something he did over the weekend with his truck or something like that. She was like, uh-uh, he was putting on for them. He does not. She's like, <laughs> she's like, I, she's like I've known him almost all my life. He does not have a, a, a strong Southern accent. And it's just like, <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so you, you do have to fit in. Like, and I think that was, like, my first, like, real-time example of seeing someone. Cause I was maybe 14, 15 at the time. I think it was my first mm-hmm. time, real time example of seeing somebody code switching in corporate America, and it's just like, it it blew my mind ever since then. Right. So let me ask you all this: I mean, do you all feel like other cultures have to code switch in order to fit in and be successful? Mm, some do, and some don't. Yeah, I don't experience it. There, so, uh, I've you- seen situations like that. Um, as a matter of fact, I, I reached out to a friend of mine um, who's Italian, and we had a discussion about it. And, and the code switching was a little bit different, um, but he mm-hmm. talked about how when his great grandfather, his great grandfather and his great grandfather and his great grand uncle, a great great uncle, whatever however you say it, they came to America together, and they came, you know, via Ellis Island. And you know, when you get there, you're supposed to sign a ledger with your name. Well, his great-great-uncle changed his last name from a very, very definitively Italian name to Peterson. His great-great-grandfather did not. And he was just saying that, you know, and it was a story that's just been passed down just for years, how differently they were treated, you know, with them having those last names. So I think that is, you know, and and that's pretty prevalent. You see the people that come over and they change their name from Scaramucci to Smith. Whatever the case may be, right. but you know he right. also said, you know he because he still does have a very thick, you know Italian style accent that, um, you know he has to switch that up in corporate America. Otherwise, he gets and I think it's a I think there's this is where I say it's different. He gets the jokes about being Italian, right? He gets the Italian stereotypes, but it doesn't. Even by his admission, it doesn't affect him negatively. It's more just like a conversation piece. With us, I think the right. problem is it affects us negatively. It, it, it affects their perception of us, our, you know, comprehension of the work, our ability to actually effectively do our job and represent that company. And I think that's the difference when it comes to a lot of other cultures, when it comes to code switching versus what, you know, black and brown people may have to do. And, and you know, okay. even with the, um, with the clip we just played, when they say how people will gauge you in your intelligence or your intellect by how you sound. Um, there's a radio show that plays out here in Atlanta on the black radio uh, AM station. There's two sisters mm-hmm. that are lawyers. If you listen to them talk, 
you would think they was, you know, just some country girls on the radio just talking. They're they have both of them have masters. They're lawyers. They could be judges if they want to, but just by listening to them, you would think, oh man, they don't know what they're talking about. Or you may try to say, oh, that's just a country person. They're just on the radio. I mean, man, I I think a lot of times even within our own culture, uh, you know, when you look at different areas, and I know Dr. Reed was saying like how he went to New York, California, he tried, you know, he flipped it up wherever. I mean, you know, it was what it was when he was in those different locations, but. When you meet somebody from different places in the country, especially like our Northeastern brothers, they hear us talk or we hear Midwesterners talk, and we're like, eh, it might be a little dumb right there. But that's not the case. I hate that we do that. And and as far as the question that you ask our other cultures, I haven't experienced everybody from in my personal uh, experiences when they're from a different location, uh, they normally stick with their roots and their heritage. Indians, people from India sound like people from India. People from Africa, no matter what country they're from, sound like that country. Uh, I think more so in America, we're kind of caught up with the whole, you know, hey, you got to be like the dominant culture here to really thrive and make it. You know, y'all may well, have experienced the an Indian accent that and like dialect. There, there's, I think yeah, there's a strong I, difference between accent and dialect. Yeah, correct. And so, and, and and that made me think of a friend of mine uh, who's who's Mexican. We actually both work for the same company, we have the same title. But you know, he said that himself. You know that his dialect relaxes a lot more when he's around family. But he has to, you know, spruce it up a bit when you know we're in our Zoom, our thousands of Zoom calls per day. Uh, so, uh, you know, I think it does affect on both ends. Yeah. But I and think I, it's and I also think dialect. that we have to look at code switching goes beyond dialect. It's how you like what you're talking about, your mannerisms, your jokes, your, mm-hmm. your all discussions, that. how you dress. All of that goes into you know, are you relatable to whatever you know the dominant yeah. culture at your your office? Can you make jokes that they find funny? Do you do the same activities outside of work that they do? All of that, can you relate to that and speak on it? Um, all of that goes into to code switching. And, and unless, and it, it's just a fact, if you're in corporate America, you have got to ingrain yourself in that culture where you can be that person who can crack jokes and know about sign fails mm-hmm. and all kind of, you know, things that are relatable um, to white people. And, and, and if you're not, you are outed because in the break room, outside, um, on different calls, that's how you know about the next deal that's happening. That's how you know about, right. you know, the, the what to buy in a stock, or that's how you know about what to do, because you're already outside of the door, and you're not even going to get to crack that door into the club just a little bit if they if they find you where, where they cannot relate to you or find you offensive or scary in any way. Yeah. Mm. And that, Gene, you just, oh, Lord, I can't even say nothing because I know, I, I just don't want to mess around and the wrong person hit this show. If I say what I really want to say, it, it'll be a problem. <laughs> oh, Lord. We need to, we, what? Mm. Oh, that hit home. But, like I, that, but I will tell you this, and on that the positive home. side, on the positive yeah, I, I side of code switching, when you allow yourself to be cracked into that door, you learn all kinds of stuff, even from a kid. Like I said, code switching from a kid, 
hanging out with different cultures, hanging out with different, um, you know, people in different economic statuses than myself or different, you know, like I said, different cultures, you get to learn things that people who don't want to participate in that, sometimes they do. You get to to have different opportunities and, and grow and learn. And if, and I, and I pose this question to you all that, to, to everyone, are you ashamed of code switching if it allows you to open a door that may be closed to you otherwise, if you mm. do not put on mm. the mask? Absolutely not. Good question. Yeah. I, I know I'm absolutely not. Absolutely not. I, I'm not, okay. I don't care. <laughs> let me get let me get an inch in. That's all I need. I, I'll, I'll give you. Y'all know I'm. Uh, you know I'm good for the examples. I'll give you probably the best example of code switching changing, it essentially an entire city. When you look at Alonzo Herndon, the first black millionaire in Atlanta. Originally, and, and Alonzo Herndon, if you've ever seen any pictures of him, he could pass for a white man. Right, but what he did was he opened a barbershop downtown. He cold switched as much as he could, and a lot of his clientele was white, and most of them were insurance salesmen. So he learned everything about insurance just by their conversation and them feeling so comfortable and talking with him around about it. He started the Atlanta Life uh, Insurance Company and became the first black millionaire in Atlanta. He was able to employ so many black people and teach them about insurance, teach them about sales, and it affected positively so many black families for generations because he wasn't ashamed to code switch and use what he learned and apply it to his own community. So I, I think it's with, if you can look at it positive, because let's be honest, we, we talked a little earlier when we were speaking with Bill, if it were not for our parents and our grandparents and our great-grandparents co-switching, we wouldn't even be able to sit here and have the discussion on if it's okay right. to co-switch. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, we got to think about this, too. Like, you got to think about the generation that did not, you know, uh, allow the co-switching to overpower who they truly were, right? They were still being who they were. They were just trying to excel. And I think that that's what, um, like, it's still ongoing. Like we're still trying to excel to get to where we need to be. Like Nick said, I think we're just um, like a generation away from um, us being those owners to hire on a mass scale. And so um, getting, getting what we need out of that, like that whole example of, of the guy, you know, owning the barbershop, then uh, starting his own insurance company and employing, our people and helping our people too because you got to think about the amount of people that he was able to sell insurance to that did not have insurance. How many he got the chance to educate about insurance Al? Because think about a lot of our people didn't even know about insurance or probably uh, wasn't fully educated on it. So I mean those doors like Jen said, when those doors are open um, it is to our advantage to pay it forward in the information that we receive that Mm -hmm. we can use in our own communities. Uh, I mean, they've been, I mean, there's many communities that do it to this day. Certain communities keep that information within. If you're lucky enough, if you're lucky enough to get into that circle, right. you know, I don't know if they will look at it like you've betrayed their trust. But if you get in there, you learn something. Why not teach it to those that are worthy to have that information? And I, and also, people mm-hmm. downgrade the burden. I, I wouldn't even call it a burden. 
But when you're the first or you're the only person in your office or in your, your corporate environment um, of your culture, you feel like, or at least, I, you know, I'm representing my people, you know, especially when a lot of the right. people up top right. have a limited perception of your culture. And I think that's the difference from the young gentleman deal that was there where the new generation has this I, I, I. And I think Al and Nick were talking and Kev, you were talking about earlier that what I do now is not for me, that it's for the generation that comes after me. And that's, that was the attitude of our parents and our grandparents and the people who came before us. But somehow we get right. to us and it has come to this I mentality. Because if I can make these people comfortable with me and they say, well, you know, Jennifer's all right. She's black. She's a girl. You know, she's a woman. She's black. She's all right. She does a good job. Maybe the next, you know, African-American woman or African-American man they interview, they might not be, they'll be a little bit less biased just because I've set an example. But this generation is so, the some of the younger generation, especially those, what do you call those, Gen Zs, are so eye-focused that, you know, they shame people that might code switch or they shame people that might want to, um, conform in order to, to get ahead um, because they're only looking at it from an eye perspective. And I think that comes mm-hmm. with growth, Jen. I'll be honest. I can remember a specific instance where I did that. I was fresh out of college and uh, home for the summer. I was working for a, a yacht club, and uh, there was an older guy there, and all the other, all you know, all the other black folks, we were all in the back. <laughs> we were all in the back. Boy. And uh, they were like, man, he get on my nerves. He always up in them white folks' faces. He this and he that. He this and he that. And I remember I was telling my stepdad about it. He was like, well, just watch how he moves. Don't 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 judge him on it. Just watch how he moves because I kind of carried that perception of him for a while too. And then one day he came up to me. The guy came up to me and he was like, hey, you know, what are you doing this Saturday night? I said, you know, nothing. He was like, would you like to do a private party for one of the members? I was like, yeah, sure. And so I went and I went to the party and um I see all the members there. So essentially what he had been doing all this time for the private parties that the yacht club charged too much for the members to have, he started his own company and was networking there with the members and getting all of those private parties booked. I made more that night than I made in two weeks at the yacht club. And it changed my entire perception. I was like, okay, he's doing what he's doing because it's setting him up into a position where, for him, he he put it best, and I've used the term since then. He was like, listen, people will look at my job here as, oh, I'm just working this lowly job. He was like, no, I get paid to source new business every day. And it blew my mind. It absolutely blew my mind. So if you see that that, that man or that woman and you feel like they're co-switching or, or quote-unquote selling out what. Watch their moves. There's usually something underlying. That doesn't mean that everybody is in, that's in that position is doing something positive. But before you judge, watch their moves and see what it is that they're actually doing. Right, right. Um, we're going to bring in our, um, our caller, Bill. Uh, let's go ahead and bring him in now. Uh, Bill, you got a comment? You're not live with the middleman. Yes, I must address the fact of this generation. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think, I, and, and the reason I do this, the only reason I do this is because I hear it misspoke, it's, it's misspoken on so many occasions. 
the Generation Z is from 1995 to, to 2014, 15, I believe. Millennials are totally different things. I'm a millennial, okay? Uh, I, I know we just talked, we just spoke on the I factor of everything, but I have to agree with the fact, I have to disagree with the fact that that the millennials are the ones that, you know, that's I, I, I. Uh, if anything, I feel like millennials are the ones who are taking the change when it, it well, who's, who's affecting the change positively when it comes to uh, this new election that's coming up. Um, and I don't know who, how your political views are, but the millennials are the ones that's basically carrying Bernie Sanders right now. And so for, for people to think that this is, a, this, this is a generation. Yeah, he's I mean, it, 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 it's, it's not working because, and, and that's, a, that's a topic for a totally different day in, in my eyes. Uh, but, I mean, at this time here, you, you, have, you have, I feel in my eyes, that this, the, the society is taking a different turn for itself. Because we're so, a lot of our elder people, you know, and we respect them and all, but at the same time, some of those traditional ways aren't working anymore. Um, some of the, and 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 I'm, I have to give it to the boomers. I mean, they call them baby boomers, but I mean, at, at some stake, I mean, these are the same people that's fighting and that's bickering back and forth off of personal things. Where so it's it's taking so long for legislation to to get by. Not saying that we can't we can handle it and, and speed it up, but it, it's just it's. The system that we have right now, it, it's, it's old. It's time to change it. And I feel like millennials are those ones that's changing it. Now, the, the generation that Jen, Jen is referring to is this generation that decides to eat pie. Now, um, if you find a millennial that do that, I'll take my whole comment back. But <laughs> well, Bill, I don't think there's millennials that's doing that. Bill, speaking from the generation that often gets left out of this conversation, uh, Gen X, I uh-huh. can say yeah. – um, a lot of the advantages advantages that millennials do now have are a result of the technology boom instituted by Gen Xers and some boomers Touché. as well. So it's one of those things where it's like, but I think that goes to Jen's further point. Rather than this separation of the generations, it's like, okay, if you feel like this way is antiquated, if you feel like this way is not working, then rather than tweet about it, and it, and it falls in with this conversation, Rather than tweet about it, be about the action. Because the one thing that you cannot take away from the baby boomers, you may feel that their ways may be a bit antiquated, but it was always action-based, which is why policy gets affected, which is why change got affected the way that it did. I tell people all the time, you can't affect policy in 140 characters on Twitter, right? And it's the same thing in corporate America. We can have this discussion all day, but until you have those people who are in position who are actually making the change and making the change internally and externally, then you're not going to get anywhere. Okay, I, I respect that, but here's my thing here. If, if your way of doing things is totally different from the way of doing things now, yes, they marched at that time. Yes, they, they protested. They sat in and I'm just I'm just using those as examples where so my people decide to get on social media, but that's our way of that's our way of getting things out. That's the same Bill. But we fought for it at Bill. one time when we wanted yeah. Okay, you know, I'm I'm gonna just say this to you, man. It's something hopefully it sticks with your soul and we all know it. Ain't nothing new up under this sun except the day that's coming. 
Right. And the thing is, Bill, regardless of how you feel about your generation, we felt the same way about our generation. The generation before us in the 60s and the, and the 50s felt the same way about their generation. Every time we come along, the point that, that Nick was just basically making, and, and I agree with what you're saying to some degree, but we have to be about action. If we're not about action, it's mute. Regardless of the you, age, you, can I, the thing is, action makes the change. I, I respect that. Can I finish my statement, though? Because my statement is geared for the fact stuff is the fact that action is being taken. It's just not being taken the way in which you you you, you want to be taken. And so the fact that, just uh, like I said, that back in the day, back in the day, our people get publicity so these things can be seen. And now that my people share it on social media, and yes, you do have people that's out in the streets as well, but because my people decide to deliver the message or deliver the information in a different form, it's been it's being looked at totally different. But it's not just and delivering so, the information. You know, here here's the thing about it, which is why th- this is why I'm such a history buff. We talk about the marches, we talk about the sit-ins. I look at something like the civil rights. Um, the, the the civil rights movement um, that wasn't the marching was just an accent to the economic crippling that the Montgomery Improvement Association put mm-hmm. on the transit system in Montgomery. They and I, I say that as a person who attended Alabama State, who lived in Montgomery, Alabama for eight years, and Alabama State was the Twitter of that day because it was the black newspaper, the Hornet Tribune, Alabama State's newspaper. Mm-hmm. That got the message out. What they did was the marching was something that just got on TV. They economically crippled the bus system. That's why you hear all the older folks say, hit them in the pockets. That's what right. affected the change. 60% of the people who rode the bus in Montgomery were white. I mean, were black. So when you take 60% right. of business away from any entity, you're going to cripple it and they're hurting the, so the marching and the protests and the sit-ins was just an accent. It was the icing on the cake to the economic strategy that was put into place in order to make those changes. And that's why I feel like you do we have to take the generation part out of it. No, sit down with those leaders and say that same thing. Sit down. If you're if you're a young black journalist, you need to be sitting down with the board at the NABJ to talk about getting more black people into sea level positions. If you're a young black right. activist, you need to be. If you're in the Black Lives Matter movement, that's wonderful. You need to be sitting down with the elder board at the NAACP or the SCLC to talk about the strategic things that they did, not just the stuff that's on the surface. It's right. more than just the tweet. It's more, it's more than just getting the information. You can get the information out there all day. That's wonderful. What's your strategy into actually crippling a system that has kept us down for years and years, whether that be corporate America, whether that be civil rights, whether that be police brutality, whether that be economic inclusion? There is an action plan that is underlying the things that everyone sees on the surface. And that's the difference. Yeah. And, and, and to be honest, and I'm not saying taking offense to your statement because I agree with you to a point, mm-hmm. but that's why I take offense when people are like, I'm not my grandfather. You're right because your grandfather was strategic and proactive. It wasn't just reactive. Oh, somebody got killed in the streets, and now we're going to go rally or we're going to go tweet. No, there was something proactive and strategic, and we have to start giving ourselves as black people more credit for being mm-hmm. as strategic mm-hmm. as we have been throughout history right. in order to get where we right. are now. That's true. Right. And see the only the only reason I made that statement is because of what you just said. 
they're people are being strategic, but at the same time, the same media that in which we we reach out to to bring light into a situation is the same media that's that's being used against us to show that okay, you got some young people, you have young people that's out here that's trying to do something or make that difference, but the media is only showing those ones that that are only tweeting or that are only actually talking yep. about the situation that want to go and loot things and that want to go and do that. True. That that was that's the segment that I'm trying to make. True. I agree. I, yeah. I, I, I do agree with that. All right. Man. And, uh, Bill, man, we appreciate you, man. You, you're always welcome on this show. Uh, we want to hear more from you, man, because your perspective is much needed. Um, we got Dr. Definitely Reed. Is. I know he's been sitting over here for a minute. Uh, we do apologize, and we are about to get close to the end of the show. Dr. Reed's like, man, what's going on? <laughs> what's going yeah, on, bro? Cool. I'm, I'm, I'm a crime to call. Uh, <laughs> what I would say to, 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 to everybody is, uh, regardless of what your generation is, know the fight. Know the yes. fight. That's the, that's a, that's that's the hood in me. That's the soldier in me. That's the doctor in me. You gotta know the fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sometimes we talk about code switching. I, I remember being up in in Montana with my Native Americans, and it was like three black people, like within like three hundred miles. So black people, I got to see what black people dealt with with other groups. You would see people change their hair color, change features about themselves. Because that was their fight. Their fight ain't yeah. my fight, ain't your fight, ain't the next person's fight. Know the fight. When you know the fight, you know, you, when you know how to fight your enemy, you know how to fight smart. All right? When, you know, mm-hmm. some places, like, when, I, when, I'm in, when I'm in New York, I can't talk to folks the way I do down south. You know, and it's not necessarily that you're appropriate, you know, like you're appropriating, but you want people to be just as comfortable as you are. You want so when you when you go into these jobs or whatever it is, whether you're selling houses or whatever your business may be, you have to adjust. You have to know the fight. You have to know your market, whatever that market is. And let's say you're in sales. You know, let's say that you let's say you're in sales. I knew a guy I worked in sales with where he his his territory was nothing but country hit towns like off the grid. So he didn't wear a suit out there. He always wore jeans and cowboy boots. Because if he came around there wearing a suit, ain't nobody gonna trust him, you know. So you whatever whatever it is that you do in life, if you have to switch up your vernacular just a little bit, like you look at some of these people on ESPN, like some of the Spanish ladies, like uh, I saw an article where they were saying that they had to they had to switch up their pronunciations. They grew up Spanish, but they had to stay they had mm-hmm. to Americanize stuff because they was pissing people off and people was complaining about the way they were saying stuff. It's not it's not right. Amarillo, it's Amarillo. You know, but but if people complain, if you want to keep that job, unfortunately, you know that's where the health you comes. Gotta you got to ask yourself. Yeah. yeah, it's like either you assimilate or you, <laughs> or you leave. That's it, man. So you <laughs> yeah, always you, you always got to know you always got to know the fight, no matter what your market is. If anybody take anything from this, you know you have to know the fight and then adjust accordingly. And part I leave y'all with this: the last. The, 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 the most important thing as far as us is knowing our history. And that's where so many young people and probably middle-aged people go wrong is that they try to create a new history. And, and nothing's changed but the date. Nothing's yeah. changed but the date. Human beings are still human beings. Are still human beings. You literally have to know what you, where, you, where you come from. So some of these, these 80, 90, 75-year-old people that are still in their right mind, regardless of what your industry is, you need to sit. You don't think I sit down with some of these old retired doctors and, and, and see, see where I where I come from? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. You know, so and, and that and that helps you in the fight too. That's all I got. Man, 
Appreciate you, brother. Thank man. you once again, man. We look forward to hearing from you more. Thank you, Dr. Reed. And uh, for everybody that tuned in to the Middleman Talk Show today, our man Bill. What's the name of Bill's show again there, Al? Hear me out, man. Hear me out. Y'all go check that young brother out. He's a powerful, dynamic, young thinker. We need to make sure we keep supporting our people out here, no matter the age, as Dr. Reed said. Uh, know what's going on at all times. We had a great show. Al, we haven't done a show this you long. Did, man. Whew. It's been a minute. Wow. I just looked up and realized. Yeah, there's a lot of information they're giving out on this show, man. Um, you know, Nick, Jen, you know, our callers, Dr. Reed, Bill. Wow. Great wealth of information on this show today. Mm. All right. Well, let them know what we talked about today, man. And uh, let's, let's go ahead and crank this thing well, down so our listeners can share our show and download it and play it again. We appreciate everyone for tuning in to the Middleman Show today. Uh, the title, Code Switching, Thriving While Being Black in Corporate America. So some of the things in which we discussed today is do you have to change who you are to fit in with the culture, to assimilate into culture, uh, corporate America? Uh, do black people, um, uh, do black women and men, you know, have different experiences while working and gaining success? In corporate America, we also discussed as far as like, do you have to sound a certain way? We talked about um, your pronunciation, talking, talking white. You know, the whole phrase, you sound white. Um, does that help you assimilate into corporate America? Do we have to do that? Um, and we also discussed, do other cultures have to code switch to be successful in corporate America? But the main thing that we that we definitely talked about is working with each other to build on what we have to get to where we need to go. And, of course, if you are trying to, you know, get employed at a particular company, yes, you have to assimilate within their, you know, their company making. So if you want to work there, you got to do what you need to do to work there. But if you want to have your own, create your own. And we're all about empowerment. Definitely over here at the Middleman Talk Show. You can definitely hit us up on Facebook at the Middleman Talk Show. Join us on our group. Definitely go back and check out some of our older shows. You can listen to us on iHeartRadio, Listen Notes, uh, Podcast App, uh, iTunes, um, Spotify as well. So definitely check us out. Tell a friend to tell a friend to listen to the Middleman Show. And thank you for taking an hour and a half out your day today to listen to That's the right. Middleman Talk Show. And you know, normally we'll play a little something, but day man, we're going straight up out of here. We out, man. Bye, everybody.